0: Excellent. Can you take out your Bibles and the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door? We can begin. We are in part six of our first Timothy series entitled Called by God and entitled today's message A Focus Church. And although we're going to be in First Timothy, I would like for you to turn with me first to Matthew 16 13. Matthew 1613. I'm going to kind of lay a bit of a foundation that is necessary to the fill in the blank into what we're about to do next, because what we're going to be walking into is a very controversial and very difficult subject. As a matter of fact, it is incredibly vast, far more complicated than you ever imagined. And as we walk through that, we need to make sure that we have our vision clear, our lenses right, And that is that God knows how to do it right. Can we all agree that God knows how to run the church? Can we say that? Okay, great. So in other words, our job here as pastoral leaders or as congregants, as members of the body, our job is not to think up cool things for God to do. Our job is to align and do what he thinks is a great idea to do because he knows how to do it best. Yeah. All right. So... How do we do that? How do we align? Well, it's all about hearing His voice, discerning His truth, and being obedient to His Spirit. So that's why we begin here in Matthew 16. Matthew 16, 13. You may know this passage. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, what is popular culture saying about me? Son of man was Jesus's favorite descriptive term for himself. Who does everybody else out there in the world say that I am? And so the disciples said, well, some think you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. Uh, Other people think Elijah raised from the dead. And well, others think Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, all right, that's what they say. But you guys have been with me. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, the loudmouth and leader of the group replied, you're the Messiah, you're the anointed one, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood didn't tell you this, but my father who is in heaven, and I tell you that you are a rock, Petros. And on this rock, and what he was pointing to, we don't know, great debate is he Referring to the truth that Peter shared? Is he referring to himself as the rock? Is he referring to the collection of the group of disciples? Regardless, he clarifies it next. And I tell you that you are a rock, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Sounds awesome. What's happening here? He's sowing seeds for how he's going to build the kingdom. And he's revealing that he's building a church. The church will be the primary vehicle by which God transforms the world. Y'all seeing that vision? So he's casting this stuff out and he's, he's kind of giving them little hints of what's about to come. And he says kids. If you do it my way and I'm in it, the gates of hell can't prevail against you. Like I'm coming in and I always win. I have all the power. I have all the authority. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no way that anyone will stand against me. So I don't care how big the world's systems are. I don't care how deeply their dog or how long they've been around the gates of hell will not prevail against me and if i'm in you and you are aligned with me we are going to do this and we are going to be victorious we all agree with that all right so our job is to do it the way he wants us to do it yeah We are not to be designed around the culture of the world, but we are to be very clear on what the culture of the world is. We are not shaped by the world, but we're aware of the world. We engage with the world. We live in the world. But ultimately, we are aligned with our Heavenly Father. And that is the backdrop. Why? Because of the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. God aligns his church for power god aligns his church for power so the bigger question in my mind as a senior pastor of this church is bridgeway aligned with the lord appropriately are we in the right structure are we operating in the right functions are we having the right roles do we have the right freedom of the spirit do we have the right focus on the truth do we have the word of god locked within our spirit? Do we have great fellowship? You know, I'm looking at all these things and I'm slicing and dicing and trying to figure out, are we aligned with God's way of doing church? Because any way that we're not, we need to adjust. We need to cut some things out. We need to add other things in. We just need to make adjustments. And so the elders along with myself and the senior leadership of this church, we're always seeking to discern the voice of God and the direction. He is always revealing more and more to us, opening things up in the word. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into all truth. Therefore, each and every time we open up the word of God, we're kind of like, dang, how did I not see that last time, right? That's how he's one by one and step by step revealing things to us. All right. What we do know for sure is that Paul the apostle wrote a letter to Timothy because things weren't aligned well in Ephesus. If you remember, he wrote a letter to him as the lead pastor of Ephesus, and Paul said, Hey, buddy, I've been there. I'm the one that kicked that thing off. I know everything about that church, and the reason why I sent you is it's a mess. I also sent you because if anyone knows how to run stuff, it's you. You're a protege of mine. You're, my, you're like a little baby Paul, man. So here's what I need you to do, kid. I need you to get in there, get in there and I need you to make it right. I need you to fight the good fight. I need you to get the false teachers and all that bogus doctrine. I need you to get that out. I need you to get all the good guys in. We need the right leadership structure. And how do we do that? Well, we always begin with prayer, right? Isn't that what we talked about last week? We always begin our fight as Christians on our knees, and then we begin to war there. And then we begin to, begin to build from that way out. So Timothy, things are not right in Ephesus. That's a crazy place to minister. I wouldn't have sent you there if it wasn't. Crazy place to minister. And you're a fledgling little church. I need you to come through with strength and orderliness or else this whole thing's going to fall into chaos. And that is why he wrote the letter. So we need to address a few specific things. And in doing so, walks us into what we now see they didn't see it as controversial they saw it and they knew exactly what they were talking about Paul and Timothy had had so many conversations that Paul only had to refer to something and Timothy was like yep I know what you're talking about we are now 2,000 years later on a completely different continent and a completely different culture so we don't know what they were talking about seemed very easy to them it's very complicated to us But as he is putting order to the church, he walks us right into the issue of women in leadership in the church. How are women to be viewed? That has been such a tremendously controversial and crazy subject. It's split churches and split homes and split all kinds of denominations. I mean, it's just been chaotic throughout history. And so we're going to walk right into it today. Praise the Lord. Let's go do this. All right. Would you turn with me to first Timothy chapter two, verse eight? First Timothy chapter two, verse eight. Remember, if you split the church, that's multiplication. Praise the Lord. I need you to do this for me that whatever you think, you know, about women in leadership. If you think that you have this one nailed down, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to put your personal opinions aside. I would like you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to reveal to you. Remember, you do not come to church to have the pastor reinforce what you already believe. You come to church to learn. Therefore, you need to be in a learning posture. Now, of course, not everything I say is going to be accurate. So you need to test everything I say against Scripture. You need to be good Bereans. We don't and i'm not going to be giving you a prescription on what to believe i'm simply going to Restructure the conversation I'm going to give you a new way to look at it a new paradigm and basically what i'm going to do is blow up your world Yeah, what else is new great point. point First timothy chapter 2 verse 8. That was a lot of hype We better better own up to it. Yeah, here we go First timothy chapter 2 verse 8. It begins actually very natural and very easy we were talking about prayer, so Paul transitions on and he said, All right, let's talk about the structure of the church. Here's a couple of things that I need done. I desire then that in every place, meaning in every church, wherever we collectively come together, that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. All right, now this is a couple of lessons that we need to learn about interpretation interpretation of scripture, you don't just take a little tiny bit of scripture and then try to make a whole doctrine off of it, right? If you only looked at this one, it just said, I want the men to pray. Does that mean women shouldn't pray? No, that's silly. We all look and we go, "Well, Pastor Lance, there's so much other scripture that talks about women praying. And I go, oh, okay. So you're interpreting scripture, right? You look at the whole counsel of God. Okay, we can do that. He said, but in talking about the men, because if you remember the Jewish structure was to separate the men from the women. We'll talk a little bit more about that. So when the men were in the synagogue and they were all together, when they would have time to gather together as a body, they would do prayer things and they would do public discussion, things like that. Well, notice that they lift their hands in holy prayer, which is so funny just in terms of culture because if i said to a whole group of ancient jews you guys were all going to pray what do we do everybody stands up and they lift their hands up and they lift their head up to heaven what do we do nowadays i say we're going to pray everybody puts their hands in their lap bows their head and looks down and closes their eyes it's complete opposite just simply understanding different cultures and different times but here's what's fascinating about what he said he said when you all come together gentlemen I don't want you falling into the stereotype of the world you go what do you mean the stereotype well quarreling in anger i've used this as an analogy a lot how many of you quick show of hands how many of you have seen fiddler on the roof raise your hand fiddler on the roof all right so a good amount of you if you haven't you have not yet lived On Fiddler on the Roof, it talks a lot about Jewish culture and it's obviously a little bit more modern, right? It talks about the war era and a little bit more modern, but here's what's funny. What happens when all the guys get together every time they argue? here's the funny thing you see them all shouting and yelling at each other well because the jewish culture was an argumentative culture what you would do is you'd come together and you're all yelling over each other you're all trying to debate and argue the only time you get quiet is when you listen to what the rabbi has to say and whatever he says then you go and fight about it right so it was this battle 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 and the whole culture around them everybody was fighting the problem is when you get passionate about something It begins to stir your anger and stereotypically men don't do very well with anger men wrestle with anger an awful lot Some of the reasons why are simply that men have not trained up a lot of skills In terms of interpersonal communication and there's a lot of frustration and there's a lot of bottling up and shoving down and that then Explodes and so men Stereotypically have a great challenge with anger Here's what paul was saying. Hey guys, I know what's stereotypical. I know what's in the world. Here's what I need you to do when you come to church. I need you to rise above all that. I do not want you being dominated by anything that the enemy wants you to do. I need you to realize that you are here at church not to cause distraction. You are not here to argue with everybody. You're not here to be angry. You're not here to cause your own internal distraction. What I need you to do is I need you to be free to hear the voice of the Lord and in a posture of submissiveness and learning. That's what I need you guys to do, all right? And all the men would say, okay, got it. So he says, now, ladies, and he turns over to them and he says, likewise, verse nine, in a similar manner, also women, you should adorn yourselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness, you should clothe yourselves with good works. So what is he saying? Exactly the same thing. Hey, ladies, I understand what the world wants to tell you. And what is stereotypically your problem? What is that? Body image and appearance. You are consistently wrestling with an internal battle About who am I and how am I viewed and in the same way you end up dressing not for you Not even for the lord. You end up dressing for one another You dress more for other women than you dress even for men, but sometimes you dress for men But the bottom line is it's distracting you Can we please get beyond that and be a bit more mature that ladies when you walk into church? It doesn't matter what you're wearing. It matters what your heart is and your character is therefore what i need you to do i need you to shake all that stuff off we don't need to bring that in here you don't need to be wearing an outfit that is so amazing everyone remembers your outfit not the sermon you are not here to be the center of attention you are here to learn about jesus christ and be part of the body of christ so therefore ladies i need you to step up above what is natural and normal for you can we all agree those are brilliant words yeah I mean, wow, how powerful. All right, yeah, praise God, all right? Now, this is where he runs into a buzzsaw. Here we go. Verse 11, and in talking about women, let me make a couple statements he seems to say. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbirth or childbearing if she continues in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Any problems with that? (laughs) Man, talk about like first reading, right? You read through that and you're like, I'm sorry, what did you say, right? Because here's what it sounded like he said. Hey, ladies, real quick. Gentlemen, I need you to listen up on this. Uh, ladies, you're kind of a problem. So here's what I need you to do. When you come into church, I need you to shut it down. I need you to be real quiet because when you start talking, things get nasty. So here's, here's what I want you to do. I need you to mellow out and you do not teach here. You do not know what you're talking about. Something's wrong with you. And so what I want you to do is you don't have authority because that would be silly, right? So here, what I need you to do is I need you to keep it quiet because remember, first of all, you ladies through Eve, you're the one that screwed up. We didn't screw up. You're the one that screwed up. And the only way you're going to get fixed is if you have kids, because dang, that hurts. So isn't that what it sounds like? (laughs) All right. So what does he really talk is that really what he means well no i don't think it does but here's what's interesting first of all history has already been difficult for women but unfortunately the church has not been any easier so the the church has been a historically very difficult place for women to be especially women that are gifted that are strong in leadership skills and talents and giftings by the lord women that feel a call to be pastors and are told that that's not really their role. And so you have all this angst and and more and more, here's the problem that I have. What I have a problem is that the church seems to walk around in one view and then all of a sudden the world culture has to get us to pay attention to what's right. That's embarrassing to me. For a long time, the church supported slavery. Then all of a sudden the culture is like, that's a terrible idea. And the church is like, okay, we'll relook at it. Then all of a sudden the whole world had to tell us that women could vote. And we went, oh, you're right. We should probably relook at that. Like we keep holding these views. And here's my point. Unless you have skin in the game, you're not going to look deep enough into the issues. You're just going to kind of move on and go with whatever you are taught. This is what we must not do. So for example, if you're a woman, you need to pay very close attention, right? Uh, if you love a woman, you need to pay very close attention to what I'm about to say and teach Because here's how I look at it. If you're a purveyor of truth, pay very close attention. I am a man that is completely obsessed with trying to find out the truth regardless of what it is. I'm also a man that is very dedicated to the Bible and making sure that everything is done biblically. And I'm a father of two girls. That means I'm all in. You understand? This is why I do the amount of research that I do. In order to prep this material, I had 36 pages of notes to bring to you. I narrowed it down to nine, then eight. Now I have seven. So I normally teach with four. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> we need to slow this down. Let's do it line by line. Here we go. He said, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. What did you hear? Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Some of you got agitated by that. Especially ladies would be like, what do you mean you got to learn in quietness and submissiveness? What are you trying to say about me? You know what you just missed? The command for them to be able to learn. This is the part that we skipped right over. Here's what you need to understand. In the ancient world, women were not allowed to learn. As a matter of fact, there was no allowance for a woman to be able to learn. What you just saw was Paul put in a mandate, a command for women to be able to learn. Why? Why? Because what you're going to find out is the context of this book is there was false teachers everywhere, and you find out in other passages that the false teachers were preying predominantly on women, and the women weren't educated to have any defense. They were kept out of it, kept completely away, and therefore these false teachers would come in and they'd teach them anything, and the women would go along with it because they had no other training. And Paul said, "This is way out of control. This is not acceptable." I command you to make sure women can learn, but they got to learn just like men have to learn. They have to learn in quietness and submissiveness to the Lord. They do not get to come in and tell everybody how it's going to go. Stop. You're going to learn with the Lord. We don't need to get into a battle about any of this. Listen to the Lord. Okay, does that sound fair? All right, now it moves on. He said, okay, I think women should be quiet. Hmm. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Is this the first time Paul told women to be quiet in church? Nope. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty-three. Here we go. Let me make it worse. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission as the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Wow, how about that one? We were here in anger, now we're down here. Okay, here we go. What's he really saying? Well, here's what's interesting. It can't mean be silent. You go, well, I thought that's what he just said. Well. If you go back three chapters in the exact same book, Paul just gave instructions on how women should prophesy in the church out loud. So it can't mean silent. So what does it mean? Interestingly enough, I was reading uh, a lot of research about this and I stumbled on an article that was written by N.T. Wright. I don't know if you know who N.T. Wright is, but he's a very famous scholar out of England, uh, out of Europe, and he's modern day super brilliant guy he happened to quote one of my favorite books he was quoting kenneth bailey's jesus through middle eastern eyes i've quoted that a number of times so i went back and i said i have that book i'm gonna go back and look at that here's what it says in the book kenneth said about this passage hey americans real quick this is super obvious to me this is so easy I'm a Middle Eastern guy. Let me tell you how it works over in our culture. Not only just in ancient culture, he says it happens in modern day all the time in Middle Eastern cultures. He said, whether it's Jewish, where the women and men are separated, and even today, some of them are separated in Islam. It's separated. So for example, if you go over to Israel today and you look at the ancient synagogue, how it was set up, all the men would sit around in a circle and then there was a hole in the wall and the women were on the other side of the wall and they would be able to listen through the hole. So they were not only kind of separated, they were super separated. When I, in my world religions class, went to a mosque and went through a Muslim service, when we all came in, all of us that were men in the group could sit on the rugs in front and all the women had to sit in back so that women would not be in front of men and be a distraction. So even in modern day, and that was a very modern mosque. So even in today's world, there's a great separation. He said, so this is not very unusual. He said, here's how church works. Back in the day and in some of the higher levels, like for example, in Islam, some of the teaching that's done by the imam is done in high level Arabic. Arabic. Well, not everybody knows that. So the women who are not trained don't understand what's being said. It's like sitting in a foreign speaking service. So you go into the ancient world and they would talk certain Hebrew things and they would talk certain Aramaic things and they would get all high into this and the women had no idea what was going on because they were never instructed. So basically they're sitting there for hours not understanding any bit of it. So what are they going to do? They're going to start talking, right? I mean, what would you do if you're sitting in a service? I don't know. Remember when you were a kid and you had to be in a big service, adult service, and you were like, this is so boring. And so you were just like, I'm drawing, I'm talking, I'm doing whatever. And then your parents go, shh. Remember that? Okay, he said this happens every day. He said the leader would stand up there and the women would eventually start talking in their section. And he'd go, women, shh. And he'd shush them. And then sure enough, they'd start talking again and he'd have to shush them and they'd talk again and he'd shush them. Eventually he'd get mad and go, women, if you need to know what's going on, ask your husbands on the way home and he'll help you figure it out. He said, that's all that Paul just said right here. If you don't have any of the education, if you don't have any of the training, you're bored out of your mind, you're not included. And so anything you're gonna say is gonna come from an ignorant perspective and you're gonna disrupt everything and you're probably just going to get bored and talk amongst yourselves so if you need to know ask your husband later on now does that apply to our culture where all of a sudden i'm looking out and we're surrounded by men and women all mixed together and all the women are trained just as much as the men are what happens then oops now we have a whole new ball game all right let's keep moving forward He said, again, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Right there is the big significant verse. Why there's a question of women pastors. Is that appropriate? Should women be senior pastors? Should women preach from the pulpit? Should women do this? Should women do that? There's all different churches that have all different views, different denominations, different streams of thought. He said, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. All right. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to lay out for you two views. I'm going to lay out for you two extreme views. Now, let me say that again. I'm going to lay out for you two extreme views because I'm going to do so convincingly. And you're going to go, oh, I didn't know that's what he thought. You don't know what I think. Because I'm going to lay out two extreme views very convincingly. So we will do one on one side and we will slide all the way to the other side. And I will show you those two. Why? Because anything else is a hybrid between the two. And what I want to do is I want to present out for you enough material for a couple things to happen But the main idea is I want to give you as much information as I have so that you can go do the study that you are called to do. I need you to know what you think, but I need you to be educated through it. I want you to be able to make a decision and know how to back it up in Scripture. I want you to be able to understand deeply what God is telling you, right? I am not today going to be prescribing what you should believe. I'm merely going to reframe the conversation. Here we go. I'm going to present now one extreme view, which is a hierarchical view. You ready? Here we go. Adam. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. All right. Adam was made first. Can we all agree on that? Great. Adam was made first with a primary purpose, and woman was what was called his helper, right, or his helpmate. Adam named her and he named the animals when Adam named the animals that was not merely giving him a name But it was showing dominion over well Honestly, Adam named eve and so in that sense he was demonstrating authority over her Women were created as what paul says the weaker vessel if you don't know what that means It could very well mean that they are less equipped to lead by their internal constitution, they're more easily deceived like Eve and unable to reason as well as men, they're more emotional. So that means that's probably not a good use of them in leadership. The curse just made it worse. Eve fell in deception to Satan. And as a consequence was placed further into a secondary frustrating role. For example, the curse was your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you like a tyrant. Do you remember that? That's actually the curse. So not only were women designed into this place, but now they're put into a frustrating place by the curse. Clearly in the Old Testament, I think we can all see that it has a very patriarchal view. The Old Testament law was founded on men being the dominant male characters and women filling in the rest. For example, women were not allowed to make vows. A man had to make a vow for her. Women were not allowed to own property. Men own property. And it goes on and on and on. It's clearly male dominated. Women were not allowed into the priesthood. There were no female priests and rarely ever used in prophetic ministry. There's one or two, but those are usually the exception. It was so significant, the removal of women, that by the time Jesus came, some rabbis had a famous quote that said, it's better to burn the Torah than teach it to a woman. In the New Testament, the New Testament biblical mandate, whether it's in the home structure of a husband and wife, where the husband is the head of the home, or its instructions about the church and public worship, women upon first reading, clearest and easiest reading are always told to take a secondary role to men in submission. There is no clear direction or instruction for women to take the lead. Jesus selected 12 apostles, and all of those were men. Scripture also says that man is the head of woman. That means that he is the authority. Further, Scripture says that women are to submit to their husbands in everything. The same pattern for husband and wife applies to men and women in the church. Even notice the demand in the church to wear head coverings as a sign of submissiveness. Not only that, but here in 1 Timothy 2, it makes it very clear that women are to respect their husbands, not speak out and embarrass them or challenge them in the church setting. They are to remain silent. They are not to have authority or teach men. And Paul says it's not a cultural thing. He calls back to the creation account and says it's because of Adam and Eve that I'm teaching you this, so it stands for all time. And All instructions in the New Testament for deacons and for elders are all instructions given to men. He must be a man of one wife. He needs to be a man like this. He needs to be a man like that. There are no instructions for women. Leadership. All right. There we go. Let me ask you a quick question. What are you going to say to that? Do you know anything? Can you refute it? Can you say, yep, that's absolutely what I believe. What do you believe about that? If I just lay that out as one view, it sure sounds convincing. Can you agree? I mean, man, we just went through Scripture all the way through, and it seems pretty well backed up, right? All right. Is there another view? There is. It's called the sameness and equality view. Here we go. Let's say it over again. When God created man and woman, God put his image in both male and female, it says. So both are equally the image of God. And in the creation account, it actually demonstrates equality. Why? Because both male and female were given the same commands to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. They were both given the power of dominion. Even Adam saw Eve as an equal because he said, she is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Same thing. And as the rabbi said, she was not made out of the bone of his head to rule over him or the bone of his foot for him to walk on, but what pulled out of aside for the matter of equality. And when she is known as the helper, it's fascinating. That word is used 17 times in the Bible, two times it's used of woman, 15 times it's used of God. That means it cannot mean subordinate because David calls God my helper. He doesn't say that God is his secretary. He didn't say that God is his little helper elf. What he said was, I can't do it without my helper. That's the only way it's going to get done. So helper is not subordinate. Helper is power. And by the way, when we get to the curse, you're right. The curse messed everything up. But do you all realize the curse was bad? Curse is not something we're trying to encourage and keep going. That's called negative. And Jesus Christ addressed the curse. In the Old Testament, you're right. There's not a ton of them, but there were still a lot of women prophetesses. Huldah was a prophetess. Miriam was a prophetess. If we jump to the New Testament, Philip's daughters were prophetesses and there's instructions given on women prophesying in the church. But man, when you add Jesus into the mix, everything gets completely switched around. Why? Jesus had female disciples. Women learned as students. Women proclaimed his true identity, which by the way, Peter did not. He denied the Lord. The women didn't. Oh, and women were the faithful witnesses of the crucifixion and resurrection. Women were commanded to proclaim the resurrection. By the way, who was the first one to see Jesus risen from the dead? Oh, that's right, it was a woman. Mary, who was sitting at his feet with the Martha story, we get so distracted on the Martha piece. You know what Mary was doing? She was being trained as a full disciple to become a rabbi. Why? Because all the other women were put in the back room and she was sitting with the men right in the middle at his feet. She was not looking up at him and, wow, you're awesome. She was looking up at him as her rabbi teacher training her up as an apprentice. And she was accepted. By the way, women were not priests in the Old Testament, yet two women anointed Jesus in the New Testament, which is a priesthood act, and Jesus received it. Women were at Pentecost, were they not? They're all in that room and the Holy Spirit didn't give a little bit of sprinkling to them and a whole bunch to the dudes. It was an equal pouring out and a baptism of all. They were at the inception of the church and they received everything that the men received and women have always led the way. Lydia was the first convert of Paul's in all of Europe and the first church was in her house in Philippi. Chloe and Nympha were both listed as church house leaders and every church in the book of Acts is actually at a woman's home. Saul of Tarsus, when he launches his persecution, it says, quote, he went out to get men and women and drag them to jail. That's not how Middle Eastern fighting works. Middle Eastern fighting says the men fight and the women or children are free to go back and forth wherever they need to go because they're not involved. The only way you change that structure is if the women are leaders. That's why he was targeting them. So he targeted women because women were leaders in the church from the very inception. Women taught men. Priscilla was the one that taught one of the greatest preachers of all time, a guy by the name of Apollos. Because it says Priscilla and Aquila, her husband, they taught him, but Priscilla is listed first every time as the dominant lead. Women were co-workers with Paul. Euodia and Syntyche are called, quote, co-workers with Paul. And as far as apostles... In Romans 16, 7, Junia, and there is no argument otherwise, is a woman, and she's called, quote, outstanding among the apostles. She's not just an apostle. She's an incredible apostle. And Phoebe was a deacon in Centria, Paul says, so it doesn't matter whether or not there's instructions for men about being deacons. She's a listed deacon, so it obviously applies to both men and women. There are no distinctions in Christ. There's neither slave nor free. Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, all of those have been removed by Jesus at the cross. And headship, as far as him being the head, it actually means source. It doesn't mean authority. Why? Because it says the head of man is Christ because Christ is the one that scooped him up in the dirt and made man. And the head of woman is man because out of his bone, she was made. So like the head of a river is the source of the river, it's merely talking about where people came from Spiritual gifts are all poured out equally without distinction and when it says be silent in the church You got to remember tongue speakers and prophets were also silenced in the church. It doesn't mean they can't talk It means there needs to be an orderliness to it Ephesians five twenty one says that we are to submit one to another out of reverence for god The design for the church is mutual submission not dominance And restrictions on women in the New Testament are all cultural in nature, should be continually thought of in that way. And even in the home, if the husband and wife are in agreement united, then the role doesn't matter who handles what. So-and-so does the bread winning, so-and-so does the money. The roles are basically up for whoever does it best and has been gifted that way for it has removed all distinction. Now, what do you think? Is that, was that not backed up biblically? So which one is it? So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to take you and take everything you know and go kaboom. Here's what I need you to understand. I need you to understand it's way more complicated than you ever imagined. I need us to all have grace and humility to walk into this conversation and go, you know what? We are trying to discern the will of God because here's what we don't want. What we don't want is to just blindly walk into one view or the other without knowing what we're talking about. We need to honor the Lord at every step. We need to honor one another at every step. That is always our desire. So let's wade through a couple more issues along the way that specifically get brought up by this Timothy passage. Why would Paul put in this big dramatic statement about women and how they should be contained in the book of 1 Timothy? Ephesus and Corinth were very unique. They were very, very difficult to manage. Ephesus primarily was a big issue with women. Here's why. If you go over to Ephesus today and you look at the archaeological remains, you're going to see the biggest thing in the entire city is one structure. What's the structure? The temple, of Afro, uh, the temple of Artemis or the temple of Diana? Same, same goddess. Largest structure, as a matter of fact, had thousands of priests. That is a female deity and all the priests were women. Therefore, in Ephesus, it was a female-dominated culture. They actually, in their worship style, dominated men if you're going to start a brand new church, a little Christian church, that's going to talk about equality and you're going to put it in a female dominated environment, what kind of chaos is going to happen in the church? They've all come from that background. So they're going to be like, you know what, men, you need to shut it down and get out of the way and let me handle this. Paul said, whoa, 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 we're not doing that. Because here's what's fascinating. The little word there that says, I do not permit a woman to have authority or teach a man. You know what the word authority means? It's not the word authority. This is interesting. The word authority normally is exousia. It's not that word. It's a different Greek word. And what it means is to dominate and to crush. No, we do not allow women to dominate or crush men, not in our church. That's not how it works, everyone. So, whatever your culture's doing, I'm telling you, leave it behind. We have a new way of doing things. Huh, interesting, huh? Let's keep digging into this. What Paul tries to do in a lot of his studies is to explain that there's no more male privilege. So, in the Old Testament, the male privilege was so heavy, right? You always wanted to have male boys. Uh, uh, male boys, shocker. You always wanted, yeah, wouldn't we all? We wanted to have boys as sons for what? For the family. And then they would get the birthright and they would get the property. And everything was so focused on the men that what Paul tries to do is say, hey, just like we were talking about the Jew and Gentile second-class citizen thing, you do not get to do that with women anymore. That whole thing has been restructured. There's no second-class citizens. So he gets into things like women are co-heirs with us in Jesus Christ. He's trying to level set, saying at the foot of the cross, we are all equally rescued and saved, we are all equally valued, and God equally calls us. That's what he was trying to say. But one thing that's very important for us to also balance out is that equality should not mean sameness. This is very important for you to figure into whatever you believe. Equality does not mean sameness. How do we know that? Because of the Trinity... The Trinity is equal. Can we all agree on that? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not one is greater than the other. Yet they do not all have the same function or role. They do not operate the same. As a matter of fact, the Son takes a subordinate role to the Father. He said, I'm not even teaching what I want to teach. I'm teaching whatever my Father tells me to teach. I don't even know when I'm coming back. My Father tells me when I'm coming back. Then the Holy Spirit doesn't go until who tells him. The son has to send the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Spirit reveals the truth that Jesus said doesn't reveal his own truth. He reveals the prior truth. In other words, their equal essence does not mean they have all the same role and function. So what we need to figure out is not what can we do, but more what should we do? And that is how we are trying to figure out what should be best for the Christian church and how ought we to function. These are all things that we need to keep in mind. Uh, Another thing is that we need to make sure that we understand cultural awareness and look at stories for what they really are. For example, you're absolutely right. Jesus called 12 men to lead the church, yeah? There's no dispute about that. But here's what's interesting, two pieces. Number one, Jesus also put all jews on the board he didn't call any samaritans he didn't call any gentiles does that mean that they are second-class citizens in the church today no as a matter of fact that whole distinction had to get broken off because people kept thinking that no 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 why did he do that because it was cultural and because it was following a prior plan what was the plan first the jew then the gentile that was the blessing through abraham Through your seed, all nations on earth will be blessed. In other words, it had nothing to do with their equality later on. It was about structure. Jew first, then Gentile. The other thing that's interesting is, you're right, Jesus started with 12 male leaders. How did they do? Dismal. If we're going to argue that one, that's a terrible argument. Why? Because they all abandoned Jesus and ran away. Who was at the foot of the cross? Was it the men? No, it was the women who were the ones that jesus called first to witness the resurrection and go back and proclaim and be the apostles to the men it was the women is that an accident no the whole point was jesus was going guys you keep thinking one thing i'm going to spin everything around on you and start showing you i'm launching a whole new way of doing things hmm. was paul cultural everyone's like oh you keep adjusting for culture paul's not cultural hold up Paul's completely cultural. How do we know that? Because he said this, I do not care about my rights. I will become anything to anyone that some might be saved. So in other words, I will morph. I will become a Jew to the Jews and a Gentile to the Gentiles. I will do whatever is required because I don't want to hamper the gospel. So I'm going to morph and move in my society so that the gospel is unhindered. He's very cultural. He's always watching culture. So when we start getting down to whatever you call teaching or authority or however you view that women should do it in the church, here's something that I need you to to think through. Please be consistent because we're super inconsistent and we're not thinking through things. For example, hey, I don't like the idea that women would preach from the pulpit. I don't want a woman to teach me. And yet you're reading Jesus Calling at Home that's written by a woman oh but i can see her in black and white but i can't see her in live right what and here's the other thing when you were walking down in the hallway and you got into that conversation with that other woman who dropped a whole bunch of revelation bombs from jesus she just taught you so if you want to be consistent be very consistent you probably shouldn't talk to women at all (laughs) including your mom so So here's the thing what i'm trying to tell you is we tend to grab all these different views and mush them all together And we're like, oh, I believe this and I believe that we're not even being consistent in what we're talking about Can we please just be consistent? In what we are where we stand and allow the lord to navigate that mess A couple other things as we close out If we're on the mission field, we're not having this conversation Why because women are the only ones that go so if we're over, out overseas, women are all pastors. They all preach to men. They all handle every responsibility. It's only when you come back home do you have that conversation. And here's my problem with that. My problem with that is men are cool with it because they're only teaching the natives. Oops, now you're starting to see that superiority problem come in again. Oh, since they're over there, they, need the, they can handle the teaching of women. They're probably just children in their minds anyway. Uh Uh-oh, that's no good. So once again, let's just be thinking through what is God asking of us and what is he setting us up for? Regardless of everything else that we just talked about, we do know that in Ephesus right here, we have our context. So let's finish the passage. Paul said, the reason I'm saying all this was Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. What does that mean? Well, Eve got led astray. Why? Because she wasn't taught. That seems to be Paul's argument. So ladies need to be taught in our church so they're not led astray. Here's the bigger picture, though, about that story. Do you understand that the Old Testament law has one penalty for an unintentional sin and a very significantly heavier penalty for people that sin on purpose? In other words... Eve acted ignorantly. Adam did it on purpose. The greater penalty is on Adam, not on Eve. Side note. And then it finishes up with the weirdest part, right? Yet she will be saved through childbearing. Oh, that's a good one if they if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control what does that mean well scholars differ on this one says you know what all it's saying simply is that not only are men saved but childbearers are saved in other words women are saved just as equally as they continue in following the lord and that's good that's possible i favor the other view the other view is that here's what he's saying eve sinned and it started a chain reaction praise the Lord. She can bear children because one of her children will be the Messiah and the Messiah will save her and come all the way back around. I think that's a more powerful view. All right. So here's what happens. If you ever tried to garden and you go into a garden and you have to start it all over again for the new season, what do you do? You tear it all up and you make a mess. What did I just do? I just tore everything up and made a huge mess. Why? Because as long as the ground is flat and hard, all the rain will roll off of it and all the seeds will stay on the surface. It is not until it is cultivated and rototilled and tore up that the seed will begin to take root and the water will get inside. What I need us to do as believers, to be very wise and discipled, is to make sure to tear all that up and then allow it to settle back down in a wise and godly way amen amen praise god can i have the prayer team come on up here as i put on my shirt y'all we're gonna pray and i'm gonna close this thing out but you do realize that we are launching missional communities do you know there we go life together yeah So we need to get out there and take a look at maybe what God has for us that we can all get into conversations about stuff like this. We don't want to just merely listen and process it on our own. Wouldn't it be great to have a missional community to go back to and go, you guys, what is Pastor Lance saying? I think he's insane. And then you just begin to talk about that stuff, right? Praise the Lord. Let me pray for you and we will get out of here. Heavenly Father, thank you for our walk through your word. May all that you revealed to us, all that is Good and right, Lord, settle down into our spirit. Everything that is not of you, everything that is from mankind or said inappropriately, Father, that it would wash away. That, God, that we don't need more garbage in our lives. We only want that which is holy and righteous and good. Lord, we want to be led by you, Holy Spirit. We want to be Scripture-soaked and Spirit-led. So would you reveal your truth to us? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend.